Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. I want to start this morning by sharing something I'm very proud of. It's a certificate I received when I was nine. Yes, it is this. My mum sent me a picture of this last week. I don't know what dusty part of the attic she found it in. But this was my certificate from having swam 50 metres, unaided, no armbands, no touching the side at the age of nine years old, 1994. My mum is one of those mums who keeps everything so this is something that I was like, oh, wow. So I thought, you know, I'm just going to share that with church because I can. Anyway, um, but no, <laughs> someone started to applaud. No, I don't need any applause. I don't need that. Um, but I was thinking about this. I was thinking about how I learned how to swim all those years ago. And uh, if any of you had swimming lessons, probably the same way you learned. There'll be a swimming teacher on the side of the pool or sometimes in the pool. And they, they basically say, okay. All the kids are like, right, watch this. Now you do it. And then the kids do it. And then they go, right, kick their legs. Right, now you do it. And that's the way kids learn how to swim. That's the way anyone learns how to swim. Teacher shows the person. Then they say, right, now you have a go. And then they do it. And I've started taking Max, my six-year-old, along to swimming lessons. This last sort of three, four weeks, we've started bringing him along. And you know what I've realized? The way you teach swimming has not changed one bit in 30 years, all right? It's still a swimming teacher on the side going, do this, and then the kids go, ah, and then they do this, and they keep doing it. So watch me, now you have a go, watch me, you have a go, watch me, you have a go, watch me, you have a go, and eventually they learn how to swim. And I was thinking while I was watching Max this Thursday afternoon at, um, at swimming class, I was thinking, I mean, the reality is it's kind of similar to how Jesus trained up his followers, how he trained up his disciples. He would do stuff like praying for healing or preaching. And then he'd say to the disciples, right, now you have a go. You have a go and try it. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning in Luke chapter 10. Jesus basically sending out a bunch of his followers to have a go at what he'd taught them to do. And the reality is that's what Jesus wants of all of us to look at what he did and then have a go ourselves. Now, I don't know if you've heard of um, John Wimber. John Wimber started the Vineyard Movement of Churches. Um, He got saved as a young man, um, wasn't from a Christian home, Christian background. Yeah, he was actually in the Righteous Brothers Band, uh, if you've heard of them. Um, But gets saved, goes along to church, I think like maybe for the first time ever. And this is like in the the 70s. So he goes along to this church, quite a conservative, traditional church, walks in, sits there um, through the whole service, Gets to the end of the service, John Wimber walks up, I don't know how, he's quite young this time, walks up to the pastor and goes, great service, pastor, but when do we get to do the stuff? And the pastor looks at him kind of quizzically, a little bit like confused, and be like, what do you mean, what stuff? It's like, the stuff in the Bible that Jesus do, does, when do we get to do all that? And, and the pastor's like, oh no, we don't do that anymore. He's like, what do you mean you don't do that anymore? That's what I've got into this whole thing where I want to do the stuff. So they had this kind of ding-dong back with the pastor about when he could get to do the stuff. And eventually it led to him setting up his own movement of churches, basically because he wanted people to be able to do the stuff, to be able to do the stuff that Jesus did in the Bible. And that's what I want for us, to be able to do the stuff, do what Jesus did. So this is the last in our um, 
Path of Discipleship sermon series. Give me an awe. Thanks, Jamie. Give me an awe. Oh, yes, we've got a few more. It's a forced awe because I've told you to do it, so there's not real disappointment there. But anyway, it is the last one in our series. Uh, and, and my hope over this kind of what seven-week series that we've done on the path of discipleship, my hope is that we have learned more about what it means to follow Jesus, but also that it doesn't just end there, that we don't just learn some stuff. We're like, oh, that was interesting. That was fun. And sometimes sermons can be like that. Sometimes that's good. You kind of, you're like, oh, wow, that was a really interesting bit of the Bible that I've learned more about. But my hope this morning as we finish this series is that it's not just about learning stuff. It's about what are we going to have a go at here? What are we going to actually put into practice in our lives? So it's a little bit of introspection this morning. It's a little bit of looking at our lives and thinking, hey, is there something I could change? Something I could do differently? Something I could have a go at that I've not tried before? Or something I've maybe done in the past, but want to like pick up again. So that's what I want us to look at this morning. Now we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 10. But the chapter before that, Luke 9, is the bit where Jesus sends out his 12 disciples, uh, two by two, into the villages uh, around the region of Galilee. And he sends them out to proclaim the good news and heal the sick. Now, it's really interesting. I read somewhere recently that by the end of Jesus' three-year ministry, because of this strategy that he adopted of sending the disciples out two by two, Jesus' ministry by the end of those three years touched every one of the 175 towns and villages in Galilee at that time. Because that's how many towns and villages they reckon were in Galilee at that time, 175. And his ministry touched every single one of them in a meaningful way through this strategy of sending his followers out two by two. But Jesus' vision wasn't just for the region of Galilee, the northern bit of Israel. It was much bigger than that. So... Next chapter, Luke 10, we read that he sends out 72 more followers. Okay, so the disciples aren't part of that. This is 72 more followers to also have a go at proclaiming the kingdom of God and healing the sick. Now, I read one commentator who said he reckoned the disciples were actually part of training this group of 72 up to go out. Now, it was just one commentator, so I'm not going to but I've heard that because if you think of it, 12 disciples, they go out in two. So that's six groups of two. Each of those little pairs of disciples would have trained 12. And, you know, six twelves is 72. Yeah. So it could be that the disciples have trained these. Jesus was in the mix. But whatever, they've been trained up and they're now being sent out to have a go. And what's interesting with the difference between the 72 being sent out and the disciples being sent out was the disciples were told, stick to Galilee. Whereas the 72, there was no restriction on that. It was like, you can go all over Israel. You can, you can just go, go global if you want. So let's read the instructions Jesus gave to the 72 before sending them out in Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 11. So you can follow it in your Bible or we'll, we can, it'll appear on the screen behind me. It says this, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. 
Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal those there who are ill and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. So here we see part of Jesus' strategy to reach every town and village in Israel and ultimately the world was to train up disciples, send them out to have a go, then they'd train up more disciples and then they'd send them out to have a go and then they'd train up more and they'd send them out to have a go and on and on and on and on it goes. That's Jesus' strategy to reach the world. And like with a 72, Jesus wants to send us out to have a go at making disciples too. So what I want to look at this morning, two things. Number one, how do we make disciples? Okay. And number two, what to expect when we do make disciples. That's just the two things I want to focus on this morning. And then we'll hand back to Mark and we'll go back to some worship. So firstly, how do we make disciples? Well, first thing, first step to making disciples is to go to places where people haven't yet encountered Jesus. And that's what Jesus tells the 72 to do in verse one. He tells them to go to every town and place where I'm about to go. So he doesn't tell them to go to places he's already been to or places where, you know, loads of people have got saved and there's loads of Christians there. No, no, no. I want you to go to the places where I haven't been to yet, where people there don't know me. So that's what he tells them to do. And, and the same, I think the same is true for us. The same call is on us to go to where people haven't yet encountered Jesus. So I suppose I just want to ask us, where is that for you? Where is that for you? Is that your work? I mean, maybe you're going to where people don't know Jesus every day. Great, that's good. When I think of myself, a little bit harder. Work for a church, don't have many non-Christian work colleagues. You know, it's kind of part of the deal to be a Christian if you're going to. But, you know, a little bit difficult for, for me. Uh, Elizabeth and I, we've, we've, we've been quite intentional about trying to have over parents of kids in Max's class come over for tea and cake and stuff on Saturday, Sunday afternoons. We've had some great conversations with them. I'm also a, a trustee of a, of a local charity. Again, the other trustees aren't Christians and I've ended up in some really crazy places through being a trustee of that charity, places where you know there are no people who have encountered Jesus there. So I just want to encourage us all to think, okay, where are we going where people have not yet encountered Jesus? Where could we go? Is there something we could do, a club we could join, or a thing we could, where we could go to where people have not encountered Jesus? I mean, even just the Motown music thing we're doing, we're doing it in the Grey Horse pub in Reddish, fairly working class pub in Reddish. We're wanting to take church. We're wanting to go to where people have not yet encountered Jesus. That's what we want to do. Now, we can take this a bit further. It's not just going to pubs. It's not, you know, we can go beyond just even this country. I heard a speaker at a conference recently, big conference, and the room was divided into three. I mean, there was two aisles, so there was three sections in the room. And the speaker basically said, okay, everybody in this section, this third of the room, you are, if we think of the world, seven billion people, you, this third are people who would identify as Christians, all right? You're the Christians. And then he points to the second third, the middle third. Okay, this third of the world, you represent people who aren't Christians, but if they wanted to become one, it wouldn't be difficult for them to do that, okay? So they could go to a church down their road, they could find there's a Christian in their workplace, something like that, all right? Then the third third, the third part of the world, these are called unreached people, okay? These are people who 
they don't know Jesus, they're not Christians, and it will be very difficult for them to find out how to become a Christian if they wanted to. There's no churches in their area, there's no Christians in their area, the Bible's maybe not been translated in their language. These are unreached people, okay? And what he was saying was, most of the time what we do as churches, when we send missionaries, we send them from the first group, Christians, to the second group, okay? countries which do have a Christian presence. When we send money on mission, we normally send it from the first group to the second group. And actually what we've got to do is be reaching that third group of unreached people. And weirdly, you know, now that, I don't know, that may be a call on you to go and do that. If that's you, that's great. It's interesting, Elizabeth and I, we're having a chat this week. I don't know why we were chatting about retirement and when the kids grow up. And Elizabeth just throws in, Ah, when the kids grow up, we're going to be missionaries in an unreached, unreached country. And I'm like, are we? We did not have that conversation, did we? And then last night, our next door neighbors brought us over this amazing food because obviously they're fasting for Ramadan. Elizabeth lifts up like the pit of bread and there's like, there's like half a chicken there. There's rice and everything. Elizabeth's like, I've decided what country I'm going to. Northern Iraq. Yes, we're going to Kurdistan. You know, that's, we might as well make it an unreached people group with good food. So um, yeah, maybe that's something we need to talk a bit more about in the future. But anyway, the principle is the same. Let's go to where people haven't yet encountered Jesus. That's the first step. Second step Spend time with open people. Verses 6 and 7, Jesus tells his disciples to find a person of peace and stay there. Uh, One commentary I read said that a person of peace roughly translates to a key ally. A key ally. So someone who's with you. They may not already believe in Jesus, but they're with you. They're welcoming. They're for you. Spend some time with people like that. And and spend some time with people like that. That's what to do. So look for people who are open and spend time with them. Okay? That's the second way we make disciples. Third way we make disciples is share what you've learned. Share what you've learned. See, over the course of following Jesus, his followers would have learned how to pray. They would have learned how to pray for the sick and proclaim the kingdom of God. So in verse 9, we see that that's exactly what Jesus tells them to go and share with others. He's like, okay, the stuff you've already done, the stuff I've taught you to do, share that. That's what I want you to share. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, okay, there's a lot of chat about the kingdom of God here. Like, how do I share the kingdom of God? I mean, I can share Jesus, but the kingdom, what is that? Well, basically telling people the kingdom of God has arrived or come near basically means telling people God's reign and authority and power has come to earth. And how has God's reign and authority and power come to earth? Through who? Jesus, right answer is always Jesus in church, Hillary. Correct. You know, yes. His power and authority comes through Jesus. So telling people the kingdom of God has come is basically telling people about Jesus and what he has done. Okay, so that's the simple way to think of it. But basically, when it comes to sharing what we know, sometimes we can get a little bit... I don't know, a bit nervous, like about sharing our faith. Like, oh, I don't know enough and I don't know my Bible that well. And this, what if they ask me a question I won't know? And I just want to say, when it comes to sharing, just don't worry about how much you know. Just share whatever you do know. And just be happy with that. And they ask you a question you don't know, just say, hey, look, I don't know the answer to that. I'll go find out and we'll, you know, we'll chat more. You know, I uh, had a chat with... Uh, one of the parents, one of the kids in Max's class, he was over a few weeks ago. We were just chatting and, and he goes to me, he's like, oh, we were chatting loads about Jesus. I mean, he was bringing it all up. I'm like, wow, oh, okay, come on. And he was saying, oh, I think Jesus was just a good man. And I was like, and I'd read C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. And C.S. Lewis, if you know, has this argument. He said, well, if Jesus said he was the son of God, the Messiah and died on the cross, 
He's either, he either is that or he's a liar and a lunatic. Okay, he's one or the other. You can't just say he's a good guy. So I just shared that with him. I was like, wow, you know, like that's really good thought you have there. But if he is who he said he is, he's, he, if he said he's the son of God, he is who he said he is or he's a liar. And this friend was like, oh yeah, that's a really good point. I have not thought of it. I'm going to need to think more about that really. So, you know, I'd read the book. I shared what I knew. There's probably a million other books I could have read, but that's the one. So share what we know and don't get too worried about what we don't know. Fourth thing when it comes to making disciples, rely on God's provision. Verse four, Jesus says, don't take a purse or bag or sandals. So you're like, right, does that mean, you know, we evangelize? You've got to go barefoot with no wallet? You know, is that what, uh, you know, I mean, we could take our phone probably. He hasn't banned that. But what, you know, what, how do we, how do we do, what do we do with this really? But it's interesting. If you read in Luke 22, Jesus says this, really interesting verse. Jesus says to disciples again, he says, he asks them, when I sent you out without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? The disciples were like, no, nothing. Then he answered, he said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it. And also if you have a bag, take it too. So it's interesting. Jesus isn't saying this is the only way of doing things. He is almost sort of giving them permission to take a bag and sandals and everything if they want or not. But the reason he tells them not to is a principle that he wants them to understand. He wants them to rely on him. He wants them to be reliant on him, not on stuff, not on money, not on things. And I think that in itself is something that we in the rich West definitely do need to take on board because so often we do, don't we? We rely on money. We rely on stuff. We rely on things rather than God. So, so don't worry too much about how we go, whether we're barefoot or whether we've got any money in our wallet, or, but just let's rely on him. And let's learn to trust in his provision that he will provide. Amen? Amen, Jamie. Yes. Brill. Fifth thing we do when we make disciples, have a sense of urgency. Verse four of our passage, Jesus tells them to not greet anyone on the road. Now, I don't think he's encouraging them to be rude or impolite. I think he's basically just saying, look, don't waste time. Like, don't faff around. Get to where you're going and tell who you need to tell. And I think there's something of that that we need to learn too, of of that sense of urgency. Like, there's a lost world out there heading to a lost eternity. And we have the words of life. So let's have urgency. So I don't know. I just want you to maybe think this morning of, is there someone in your life um, that you want to get to? Someone in your life that you want to share with or pray for or pray with? I just want to encourage you to think about who that person is and, and figure out, hey, what could I do and when could I do that? Have a sense of urgency. And the final thing I just want to share on this whole area of making disciples is to not do it alone. Don't go alone. This isn't something we do on our own. You know, in verse one, it says they were sent out in twos. They were sent out in pairs together, not on their own. Um, We had a friend over recently. She's not a Christian. And uh, uh, Elizabeth got into a fantastic conversation with her about God and Jesus and where she was at. She was asking so many questions and so open and so hungry. And I realized, okay, Teamwork here. We got three screaming kids. I know what my role is here. So I got those kids out of that room and I got them somewhere else. And I pled with them to let Elizabeth have that conversation, which went on for a good 40, 45 minutes. Fantastic conversation. But, you know, we work together. We help each other out. We've got a friend who's in a, a Christian friend who's in another church. And she introduced us to what a neighbor, he lives directly across the road from us, um, so that 
she could have more Christians in her lives, more people who could possibly share the message, the message of God's grace with her. And also, there's, there's actually been a lot of statistical research done, not statistic, research done on the power of introducing your Christian friends with your non-Christian friends so that your non-Christian friends know more Christians and have more opportunities to talk to people about faith and about everything. So actually, don't go along. Ask for help. Use each other to help you when it comes to making disciples. So that's how we make disciples. Lots of you are like, I can see I'm preaching to the converted here. A lot of you are like, yeah, I get it. That's good. But I just want to move now on to what we expect when we do go and make disciples. What do we expect? Okay, well, the first thing this passage says to expect is we're to expect rejection. Okay, I'm not selling it to you, am I? You know, we're to expect rejection. Verse 10 says when, notice it's when, not if. When you enter town and are not welcomed. Okay, so when we do go and try and make disciples and share our faith, we will, we will face rejection. What do we do when we face rejection? Well, I think, number one, let's not take it to heart. Let's not dwell on it. Let's, I mean, look at what they do in the passage. They warn people of the seriousness of their decision and then they move on. That's what they do here. And, you know, I just want to say as well, rejection isn't a sign that you're doing it wrong. It's just a sign that you're doing it. It's not a sign you're doing it wrong. It's just a sign you're doing it. You're sharing your faith. If you never share your faith, you're never going to be rejected for sharing your faith. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, a little bit of rejection is all right. That's fine. And also, the weird thing about rejection in our society is rejection can be really nice. Do you ever have that? Like, polite rejection. I, I hate polite rejection, you know? Oh, that's really nice. You've got your faith. Oh, that's so nice. But, you know, oh, that's good. You've got that, but I'm okay. Still rejection. I, sometimes I'd rather people just say, yeah, rubbish. I don't like it. I, I'd rather have that. Maybe that's just me. But rejection can be polite and nice, but it's still rejection. Second thing to expect, and again, I'm sorry, I'm not selling the whole disciple-making process to you, but the second thing Jesus says to expect is opposition. We should expect opposition. Verse 3, Jesus says, and Jesus says, look, I'm sending out like lambs amongst wolves. Okay, now, like the picture you have there is just of helplessness, those little lambs, and danger, you know, amongst the wolves. Um, but like, I do think there's something of, yeah, it's like that if we do it in our own strength. Yeah, but actually, if we go out in the strength of the Lamb of God, if we go out in the strength of the Holy Spirit, like, you know, those poor wolves, you know, we go out in the strength of God. Um, and, you know, I think, like, we have, in our society, we have, uh, I think, unconsciously, as believers, we have we have um, accepted an unwritten contract. And it's this. Keep quiet about your faith, especially in the public square. Keep quiet about your faith and we'll leave you alone. And I think that's the contract that we have subconsciously signed up to. And I just want to say to us, let's not accept that. Let's not accept that deal that we've been given. Let's not be afraid to stand up stick our head out and say what we've got to say. And, and let's do it in love. And I'm not saying to annoy people just for the sake of it. But let's do it in love. And yeah, we might face rejection. And yeah, we might face opposition. But I feel like that's what God's calling us to do, to pe- his people, to stand up for what is right, to stand up for the truth. Okay, so the first two things to expect, 
rejection, opposition. We're going to finish on a good one. Third thing to expect is a plentiful harvest field. A plentiful harvest field. I am a farmer's son. I know what a plentiful harvest field looks like. It is glorious. But I I suppose I just want to ask us all here. Do we expect that? I mean, do we actually expect a plentiful harvest field? You know, a field of people who are responsive to the gospel, who are open to the gospel, who want to know more. Like, I think sometimes we can think, oh, yeah, nobody wants to know. The world is so opposed to the gospel. You know, I used to do a lot of uh, street evangelism a number of years ago. Go out in the street. We'd pray for people. We'd share the gospel with people. And every single time I went out, I mean, I was bricking it, number one, you know, just going out in the street and engaging strangers. But number two, every single time, I was always surprised at just how many people were actually really interested and wanted to talk more and wanted to find out more. Always surprised me. You know, and honestly, meeting up with some of the parents of some of the kids in Max's class, genuinely, we've had some fantastic conversations, which has surprised me. I'm expecting just to have chit chat. I'm like, wow, it's gone to great places. And yeah, just really interesting. I just want to say there is a plentiful harvest field out there. But what did Jesus say? Workers are few. So let's get into the harvest field and let's see some harvesting. It'd be great. So that's... How to make disciples is what to expect when we do. And, and basically, Jesus wants the good news of the kingdom to be announced to the whole world. How does he choose to do this? Through expensive, flashy programs and events? No. I mean, if I was Jesus' tour manager, I probably would have booked him a stadium tour. You know, that's what I've done. Look, do your healing. I'll, I'll get you a stadium. 50,000 people. And we'll do this. Let everybody see it. That's, that would have been my way I'd have done it. But that's not how Jesus did it. No, Jesus did this by making disciples who made disciples and gradually over time they made more disciples who made more than disciples and they announced the kingdom in word by sharing the gospel and indeed by how they lived their lives and that's how he made disciples and that's how he wants us to make disciples amen it's good so how do we make disciples we go to places where people haven't yet encountered who Jesus. Yes, Hillary, you're a bit slower. Um, yes, the answer is always Jesus. Yeah, we spend time with open people. Secondly, we share what we've learned. We rely on God's provision. We have a sense of urgency and we don't go it alone. We ask for help. And what do we expect when we do? Expect rejection, expect opposition, and also expect a plentiful harvest field. So I just want to ask, as we finish here, this this morning as we finish this series really what could you have a go at this week what place could you go into where there are people who haven't yet encountered Jesus who could you what open person could you spend time with this week you know text them now you know um what could you share that you've learned with someone else? How could you rely on God's provision? How could you have a go at having a sense of urgency or asking someone to help you? How could you do these things this week? What is something you put into practice? And maybe actually when it comes to having a go, it's not so much stuff we've learned this morning. Maybe it's stuff we've learned in our series. You know, so a number of weeks ago, if I preached on abiding in Christ, maybe that's something you want to have a go at of just spending time with the Lord, reading his word. You know, I'll be honest, on, on Friday, I... I got up and it was about like half seven more. I had loads of stuff to do that day. And uh, I, I came in, I was like, right, I'm going to get started. I thought, oh, I 
have a quiet time. I said, like, oh, no, I could get started with my work. I could really get going in my work. And I said, like, oh, I should do my quiet time. I had this like moment of about 20 seconds of like conflict, quiet time or work, quiet time or work. I was like, I'm, 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 okay, so I, I, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll read my Bible. I'll do a quick, right? I'll do a quick quiet time. So open up my Bible, open up my Bible reading notes, Bible reading notes, Bible reading, story of Mary and Martha. I was like, oh gosh, here we go. Hi, Martha spent all her time doing stuff, but actually what was better was Mary who spent time with Jesus. I was like, okay, Lord, I hear what you're saying here. I hear it. I hear, but it's true. So important to abide in Christ, to spend time with him. And maybe that's something you could have a go at. Maybe Pete, Pete preached a few weeks on denying yourself. Maybe that's something you have a go at. I'll be honest, since Pete preached, I've started praying and fasting again reasonably regularly. I, I dropped that for a long time, but I've picked that up. But yeah, I just, I just want to encourage us. As John Wimber said, let's get doing this stuff. What are some things you could have a go at this week? And maybe for you, there's some things that you have, you used to do. And then, you know what, life's just got busy or whatever's happened and you've let it down. And I just want to encourage you, maybe it's, maybe it's to pick that thing back up and to start doing it again. So that's what I want to encourage you today, to have a go this morning. And why do we do this? Like, why do we have a go? What's the point of all this? Is it because Andy tells us to? Well, no, it's because of love. It's because of the love we have for our Savior. It's because of what he's done for us. It's because of the cross. It's because of the forgiveness that he's brought for us, the the righteousness that he's given to us, the fact that we've been made children of God. It's because of the amazing future that he's secured for us in, in a place of complete satisfaction and joy and fulfillment that we can take to the bank that's never gonna go anywhere. It's because of all of that stuff, who he is and what he's done, That's our motivation for this. That's why we step out as disciples and try and make more disciples to make more disciples and make more disciples. That's our motivation. That's it. I'm done. I'm finished. It's over to you and me to go and do the stuff like John Wimber said.